I've actually been here uh, just a little bit longer than three years now. And uh, it's crazy to think how quickly three years go by. I, I know I talk to parents all the time. Uh, I'm getting married soon, and they just say, man, the, the, the time flies. You don't know how quickly these years go. And it caused me to think of, of my time here at Living Truth. And, and truthfully, uh, you're, you're maybe like me. You think back to before and you go, man, I, I wish I could have done some things different. You know, I, I remember the first time we went to summer camp. Uh, we take our, our high school and junior high students up to a camp called Thousand Pines up in Crestline, a beautiful, just amazing camp. And... Uh, Man, I felt like the whole week, even though I'm a, I'm a bigger guy, I felt like I was running all day, and especially with junior high and high school students, all night. Um, I would spend like half the time with junior high, and then I'd race over to spend with high school, and then I'd run back over, and I'd go back and forth. And I remember after camp, I, I kind of just sat back and I go, Matt, what are you doing? It, it was good you were, you, you were spending time with both, but, but you missed the reason for camp. I, I remember as an intern, I, I used to uh, put on these huge events for our, uh, another church for their youth ministry. And I remember one time, um, good thing Greg Hatfield's not here right now, we, uh, we did these water balloons, we had this thing called Die Wars, where we would have the kids come and dress in all white, and by the end of the night, they would leave with like blue, green, orange, red, covered. And, and I mean, some of it, like sometimes, I didn't know you're not supposed to use uh, paint and water in balloons and then launch it. Um, we used them in like water balloon launchers and we gave the kids like hampers, like baskets, and they were catching them. And, and sadly, they didn't catch all of them. So some of them hit the pavement in the parking lot and we go, oh, man, we'll just come back and we'll wash it later that night and we'll go do more events. And when we came back, the paint had actually dried. And so the next day, me and David, my boss, um, the, the, the youth pastor, we were literally scrubbing the back parking lot to, to try to get the paint away with like a steel brush. And, and we were out there. And, and this is a conversation. Some of you guys have had these before. Conversations where you'll never forget and I remember David looking at me. I love to ask the question why, and I get this from David, and the reason why I love to ask the question why, he looked at me and goes, Matt, why do we put on these events? <laughs> and, and man, I, I'm just fresh out of CBU. I'm, I'm super excited for what I'm doing. I go, man, to, to have the kids have a great time. And, and David, with that sage knowledge, looks at me and goes, Matt, why, why do we do these events? And I thought he didn't hear me. So I go, David, for the kids to have a great time. Once again, he <laughs> chuckles and looks at me and goes, Matt, why do we put on these events? And this happened like another couple of times. So I look at him, I go, David, I love you. Please just tell me your answer. And he looks at me and goes, Matt, we do want to have great events. But the build, it's forward to build connections, to build relationships. 
so that students come back and that we can have conversations to point them to Jesus. That we're building relationships to show them the evidence of what Christ has done in our lives. And there's been many times throughout events at churches, and even last night. Last night we did uh, the Kids Praise Show. Very amazing. All the kids, bravo, young, young adults through kids. Amazing voices. And I was here in the back doing uh, the camera work for the live stream. And through the whole event, these kids are singing these amazing songs towards God, and I'm sitting there, and I'm making sure I'm getting the right angles and all these things, and I missed it. I missed, man, this, I'm here to serve, but I'm serving to worship. I'm here to, to praise God. And truth be told, it wasn't until actually the final aspect of the night when Shane was singing some songs, O Holy Night, that I go, man, I've missed this. And it's funny, talking to a couple of people, David Moo, one of our young adult leaders, uh, he, he told me one time, he, every morning he gets out of bed and, and when he, his, hit feet, his feet hit the ground, he just asked God, God, help me seek your face today. Help me treasure you today more than yesterday. So when I heard that, I go, man, every day, I just want to start more and more focusing on him. And if you're like me, sometimes you need motivation. So I go to the word. I go to the truth of God's word. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I'm just like, man, I, I need a little bit more. Especially driving into work or driving to a meeting. I'm like, God, is my heart in the right place? And so I'll put on some worship music. I love music. If you know my fiance can tell you, or, or Shane, or Nathan, or any of the other people I, I ride around with, the first thing, I'll, I'll, I'll get into my car. Before AC even hits, I'm turning my music on. And, uh, and I, I told Shane I was going to do this. He said I can't audition for the worship team. Um, some of my favorite songs, though, one of them, you know, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Another one uh, by Citizens. In the valley, O God, you're near. In the quiet, O God, you're near. In the shadow, O God, you're near. And at my breaking, O God, you're near. O God, you never leave my side. Your love will stand firm all my life. If you grew up in the church, this is one, oh man, this is the one I told Shane, I was like, all right, don't be mad if I sing this. But this is one of those, like, I think it's a 90s song. Um, but when I feel it, when I listen to it, I feel like this is like, if I'm playing football or basketball, this is like my warm-up, like we're ripping the jerseys off, we're going and just having a great time. That song, is, you know, the mountains shake before him, the demons run and flee. At the mention of his name, king of majesty. Please don't make me sing this by myself. <laughs> there is no power in hell or anyone who can stand. And I love this. Before the power and the presence of the great I am. If you're like me, there's times where we just miss it where we get caught up, and, and as we're getting into the Christmas season, 
we just kind of start doing. And maybe even in the world today, you're just kind of like, all right, I need to go to work. I need to get my job done. I need to get, come home. I need to make sure, you know, I'm getting my things done at home. I need to have these conversations. And we're just going on in life. And we're missing that joy, that hope, that peace. And this is the reason why I love having friends that point me back to Jesus. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite quotes is this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And as we're looking today at Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, I think the author wants to make a point that he doesn't want us to miss. And that is this. Don't miss the important thing. And see, what I've talked about earlier, those things that, that I've missed, that I absolutely do value those things, but, but when it comes close to what the author is wanting us to, to see is don't miss the true purpose. Don't miss what's at the core of all those things. See, as we see throughout the, the letter of Hebrews, starting in chapter 2, actually, the, the author is concerned about those who, who have listened, that have this confidence that he goes, I don't know if you should be that confident. And, and, and please note, I, I, I've grown up in the church, I work with students, I go to camps, and it scares me so much that I think sometimes some of us have confidence where I go, Jesus is my Lord, but is he also our Savior? Or it's, Jesus is my Savior, but am I following after him? Is he the king of my life? So the author of Hebrews writes to boaster and, and to, to grow our confidence so that we do not miss out on God and his rest. A rest that is, that is of being in his eternal rest. A rest that is of being in his presence. A rest that is for eternity. And, and before we get into even the text today, let's just pray. Father God, we come before you seeking to know you to treasure you, to love you. So Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we just remember it, it is all about putting our faith in what Christ and who Christ is. What Christ has done on the cross, Lord. Let us treasure him. I pray that as we seek your face today, let us just know you above all things and treasure you above all things so that we promote you and glorify you in all we do. For your glory alone we pray. Amen. So before we get into Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, I just want to look at actually the first warning we see the author of Hebrews writes, and it's found in Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. It says in Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, it says, therefore, pointing back to what he has previously talked about, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
See, I, I think sometimes we come into church, and, and, and this is, oh, man. We come to church, and, and it's just a rotation. Sunday morning, boom, I'm coming into the pews. Sunday morning, hey, we're going to listen to some worship songs. We're going to hear a good message. All right, where are we going to lunch? I, I see students at times up at camps. Hey, Wednesday night, it's cry night. I've gotten away from the friends. I've gotten away from the phone. There's no more distractions. I hear God's love. I want to raise my hand. I saw my friend do it, so I'm going to raise my hand too. I I, I want to worship Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. But then I go home and what changes? And are are we drifting? Are we just okay? Church, what would happen if we just see churches that are living out the, the, the message of God's gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that even in the hardest of moments, that's what I love, hearing testimonies of what God has done in someone's life. And, and I'm not talking about those who we go, man, the craziest of stories. Sometimes it's those that grew up in the church, the mom and dads who, who are still together, who have had good grades. And, and so it's this desire to continually seek him. And the fear that the author of Hebrew has is because of what he continually sees going on, the fear that he sees drifting. And so when we see, I love in Hebrews 3, 6, it says, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. And today as Shane was talking about, where is our hope? Is our confidence founded in Jesus in this weary world. As we've talked about, Jesus is our only hope. We find our confidence in him and boast only in him. Like all throughout the letter of Hebrews, we see, and if you haven't read Hebrews, Hebrews is such an amazing book, that Jesus is better than everything else. In Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, it says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil undwelling heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence from the end. And so to me, as I was talking about David, to me, as I talk about being with our young adult community or our leaders or, or, or even just our church family, I look at Paul, man. When I'm around people that, that just want to talk about Jesus and point me to Jesus, encouraging me in Jesus, there is nothing better. And so how are we doing in encouraging one another in the Lord? Are we finding our hope in the Lord? Are we in an, We're in this amazing time where We have this special moment in which the Lord has come, he has spoken, he has gone, and we are awaiting his return. Are we excited and encouraging one another to look forward to his return and to find our rest in knowing he's going to come again? If we look at the text for today, Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, it says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, lest us fear... uh, Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just to them, 
But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Verse 3, 4, we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although my words were finished from the foundation of this world, for he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and the God and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did, God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. Now, as Hebrews 2 or Hebrews 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now, as we've when I was studying this text this week, I remembered a lot of what Israel had saw and went through. In the youth, we're, we're going through the Ten Commandments, and, and Israel had seen, you know, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. They have seen bread, manna fall from heaven, and they've seen many powerful works and mercies of God. And sadly, yet, with all of that, they saw and they knew who God was, yet they drifted. And, and to me, it caused me to think, and mind you, I think a lot about students and the youth. Do we know a lot of interesting facts about God? Or do we know God? Can we recite scripture? Or we, do we trust in the scriptures? Do we come to church simply because it's just what we do. Or do we come here to have fellowship, to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to seek to know the truth of the Gospels? Israel had seen so many things happen, and I love what Mo Moses was told by God in Exodus 19. Now therefore, verse 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. After all Israel had seen, after all Israel knew, he was just saying, trust me. Put your faith in me. And, and it causes me to think, church, where are we? With so many things going on, where are we putting our faith in? 
Do we put it in a politician? Do we put it in a pastor? Or do we put it to the one who we know is faithful? As I'm looking at these two verses, the author of Hebrews is worried that in verse 1, the readers may be in danger of missing out on God's eternal, everlasting rest, since they may have drifted like those who, like the Exodus generation in the wilderness, refused to believe. And as we look at verse 2, as they didn't align themselves with those who were trusting in God and were believing in him. Now, if you know the Hebrews, if you know Israel, promises are extremely important in the book of Hebrews because they were made and secured by God himself. And so what we, call, what we are called to do in Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, if we have received the good news just like the Exodus generation and in the churches of the New Testament, we have all received that divine proclamation of de- deliverance and have been called to answer it in faith. But the Exodus generation did not receive the promised benefits because they did not respond in faith. This is why the author of Hebrews is so big on us not to miss it. The good news that was of the Exodus generation included God's promised liberation from Egypt, the covenant that he initiated with his people, and the hope, the hope of entering the promised land. Now, the good news for the church is that uh, of including the revelation and the deliverance found in Jesus as the Messiah, the new covenant that he established through his sacrifice and the confidence and hope of eternal rest with him. And so how do we enter into that eternal rest with him? How how do we enter into that? It is only through belief and trust in God. That's what counts as much today as ever. I, I hear at times that, man, we just miss the good old days. Anybody miss going to the movie theaters? I miss the movie theaters. I love going to the movies. I love getting popcorn. Try not to put too much butter on it. A little soda. Have you ever seen the jugs of soda you can get at a movie theater? It's like a two-liter bottle. We miss the good old days. I missed. I, I saw students cry missing going to summer camp this year. I miss going to Thanksgiving to see my parents this past Thanksgiving. We miss the good old days, right? We live in a world where churches are being, uh, can we say, asked to close their doors, told to close their doors. We're being told that we're not supposed to meet in small groups and that even our beliefs are incorrect. And you can see... Sadly, some people believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is really not the way to God and to his rest. See, all of us face the challenge to trust God rather than to trust the way we feel or the things that we see in front of us. All of us need to keep our eyes or keep before our eyes the promises of God and his eternal everlasting rest. The author of Hebrews stresses it again in verses 3 and verses 6 that belief and trust is what matters and not to miss it. 
You know, as I was looking at this, I looked at the story of Abram in in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, as God was telling him about, uh, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That word blessed highlights the hope that through Abram, people everywhere may experience God's favor. Remember, Genesis 12 is when Abram, who, who, who was a pagan, who, whose family was a pagan, he literally gets up and leaves as God told him to, leaving all that he's known. And as Abram went, he did what God had continually told him to do. What was his response? He continually worshiped the Lord. He put his faith in God and that Abram knew that God had the best for him. One of the craziest ways I look and I see faith lived out, and please know I hope to never see this in my own life, is found in Abraham's story in Genesis 22. When Abraham shows his trust in the Lord, even to the point that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son knowing that it would go against the promise that God had given him, but yet he knew that God would continually be faithful. I've wrestled with that that idea the whole time. So even if Abraham killed Isaac, he knew that that somehow Isaac would would, would come back alive or, or something would happen where that promise that Abraham was given to God, or given from God, would remain Genesis 22, verse 8, Abraham said, God, uh, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son, speaking to Isaac. So they both went up together. We know the story. Uh, Abraham and Isaac went up to where God told him to go. They built the off, off altar. They uh, laid the wood down. Abraham uh, bounded up Isaac and put him on top of the wood. But I love how verse 10 says it. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Behind him was the ram, caught in the thick with his, by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. See, as I was reflecting on this passage, I was looking at Hebrews 11, or Hebrews 4, and I was looking at my, my own life. I looked at how that, that faith is described and what it would look like in my life. And I asked these questions to myself, and these are questions I actually ask people all the time. Do I love Jesus? Do I treasure him? As that A.W. Tozer quote goes, is he the most important thing in my life? Just think of these questions. Do I love him more today than yesterday? Am I putting my trust in him more today than I did last week? Am I obeying and following and walking with him more? 
Is my confidence in him more today than it was yesterday? Am I more uh, desiring to, to boast in Jesus and Jesus alone? Is there nothing more important in life than Jesus? See, that same good news preached in the new covenant was also preached in the old covenant. Now, though, that Christ has come and fully revealed the Father, we, are, we as the new covenant believers have, have a fuller picture of a greater understanding of how God has acted to save. Nonetheless, though, those like Abraham who were justified by faith in the promises and of God are just as saved as us today. Now, bringing it back into the text, verse 3 the author of Hebrews points out that faith in God's good news is what is needed to enter into God's rest. He goes on to quote Psalms 25:11 again saying, "They will not enter my rest," clearly criticizing the Exodus generations for its own failures of not believing the promises of God and entering his Sabbath rest. How many times can we continually hear or read these things without understanding them, knowing them, treasuring the things they point to, and desiring those things in all of areas of our life more and more. The author of Hebrew uses Psalm, Psalms 25:11 to restate the theme, those who believe enter God's rest. We see at the, the end of verse 3 when it says, for we have believed, enter the rest, as he has said, as I sworn in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, therefore, although his works were finished from the foundations of the world. Now, when we look at the end of verse 3, we see that the availability of this rest is for all generations, including the Exodus generation, because God's rest stated, started at the foundation of the world, which is an idea the author roots in verse 4 at the beginning when he says, For he has somewhere spoken the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Since that seventh day of creation, the opportunity to join God, God in his rest remains. Now, Pastor Shane talked about that last week. That seventh day, that, that, that Sabbath, that holy day, it's a different day. It is for us to seek and rest in God. Now, that means... The other six days were meant for work. I personally like the five days of work. Seventh day of rest, one day. Um, but I, I loved how Pastor Shane was talking about it. Hey, that day needs to look different. How does our Sabbath look? How does our Sundays look? There's been many times where I look at it as just another day of the week. Got to get laundry done. Got to get shopping done. Got to go do A, B, and C. And I'm even thinking about God after church. Am I ever even just talking about him after church? I think these are questions we got to ask ourselves. What Pastor Shane talked about, though, last week, hey, those other five days, hey, it's good to work, though. Are we working? Are we striving to work? See, the repetition of Psalms 95 and verse 5 stresses the importance of, God, uh, of God's rest and entering into that rest when he says, 
And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now, are we trusting and believing God? Are we just able to recite scripture? Or do we trust the words that the promises of God have been written? Are we wanting to know interesting things about God? Or are we desiring to have him change us from the inside out as we know he has the best for us? for greater than we think we do even for ourselves. I had a professor at CBU tell me one time, and let's see parents. Kids are out of the room right now. We'll ask parents. Hey, when you say something twice, you want your kids to actually listen, right? I had a professor say, you know, as you hear or you see in Scripture, especially when Jesus says truly, truly, you need to kind of, all right, listen up. My mom would tell me things twice, and usually that would resolve in Matthew. Matthew Ramon. And when that middle name comes out, you're like, oh, if she gets to the last name too, I'm in real big trouble. But see, we know that if someone says something twice, they really want us to catch the meaning of it, Right? Parents, you don't have to want to repeat yourself to your, your child. But sometimes we need to. Why? Because we don't always pay attention. Because we miss those things that we're supposed to learn, supposed to know. We miss those things that are important. And we actually see the author of Hebrews goes back and, and he has to repeat himself for the same issue because of the listener's sin and their hard-heartedness. And we need to hear things more than once at times. Only one thing can satisfy the relentlessness of our human soul, and that is the rest of God. And the only way to access God's rest is by our faith in the good news of Jesus Christ, the one who secures God's rest for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And if we reject the good news then we will die in the wilderness. But if we put our faith in God and his promises, we will enter into that rest. I think sometimes we need to hear that more and more. As we move into verses 6 and 7, it says, Since therefore, because of everything I've said, because of all that I have written, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David as long afterward and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, I, I love this because of the rich theology and even the hermeneutics that is written in these passages. The author affirms that David is the author of Psalms 95 and the history of the events surrounding the wilderness generation, the Exodus generation. And, and just like David, the author of Hebrews applies the significance to the Exodus generation and the events that happen surrounding them in the current situations of the listeners. Essentially, Psalms 95 is condemning the Exodus generation for its disobedience and inviting the original listeners to respond to God's promises in faith. And this is the same that the author of Hebrews wants its own listeners to hear. 
Just as David desired the original listeners to respond to God in faith and belief, today the author of Hebrews wants his listeners to respond to God in faith and belief today. Now let's be honest, we we can't assume that we have tomorrow. Today may be the only day that we have left. But see, as long as we have today, we do have that invitation for faith. And if we look at verses 8 through 10, as it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then this remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, Psalms 95 is a psalm to remember the rebellion of the previous generation, the Exodus generation, and to commit to faithfully follow God's voice as we see Joshua's names showing up. Now remember that Israel was disobedient to God and the Exodus, in the Exodus generation, which included Moses, and they did not enter the promised land. And it wasn't Moses, but his successor, Joshua, who led Israel into the promised land. And like throughout the book of Hebrews, all the author is showing is that Jesus being superior. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to the angels. And in this section, we're seeing Jesus is superior to Joshua. Even though Joshua leads Israel across the Jordan into the land of Canaan, they did not journey into rest. Why? Because they continually moved around. Are we being faithful to God? This shows that God's rest is possible for God's people to enter today. So it causes me to ask this question. How do we enter this rest that is God's rest? I think the whole letter of Hebrews answered that question by saying this, by believing in Jesus Christ, the Lord of rest. Joshua led Israel into the land, but it is Jesus is the one that leads his people into God's true rest. Look at verse 10 as it expands this truth. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. We rest from our works and enter God's rest when we believe and put our faith in Christ. We no longer have to prove our righteousness before God. Instead, we rest from the work because Christ has already shown his righteousness on our behalf. That's why I love Hebrews 4.10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, the gospel is, is not being... It's not about being a good person or about being an outward, nice, dressed-up, clean-looking person. It's not about a seven-step program for getting your life better. The gospel is a message of us putting our faith in who Christ is and what Christ has done as he has accomplished to be as we are in a right standing with God, reconciled to the Father and enjoying him forever as we find that rest, as we glorify him in every area of our life. 
And when we trust in Christ's work, we trust or we rest from trusting our own. As we look at verse 11, it says, Let us therefore strive to enter his rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I think this is kind of the so what. As we're up in the youth room, I have this phrase. It's called, so when it infinitum. Now, I looked at some of your heads jump up to my face and give me this, like, I don't know. I'm terrible with words sometimes. You know when, like, each letter of a word means something and you put that Is that an acronym? No. I'm looking at old students and they're just like, oh, here he goes again. Um, but, but it means, so when an infamy means, so what does this mean for us? You guys probably know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but what I mean by this, I think verse 11 is pointing back to what everything is talked about in the previous verses. And what I'm saying is that, church family, let us not be like the Israelites of the, of the Exodus generation. Let us put our faith and belief in God. Let's start working on resting in him. This means let us work against all the desires and struggles to prove our own righteousness. Let's strive against all our desires and determinations to justify our own selves. One aspect that I love about the Christian life is exhorting and encouraging one another in faithfulness. We do, every, we do this every Sunday in corporate worship as we sit under the preaching of God's word and we sing together. It is what we do when we pray together. It is what we do when we are fellowshipping with one another. And let us enter into God's rest today and encourage one another to be fully satisfied in Christ and him alone. I remember hearing of a story. Three years ago, I was up here preaching for the very first time. I was sweating buckets. First time I ever preached in a main sanctuary. Um, and I was actually teaching in Hebrews. And I had this rope. It is a 50 feet rope. I measured it. And, and, and some people were like, man, I still remember that rope analogy. And I'm like, oh, man, not even mine, but borrowed it from someone else. Cool. But I, I remember talking a few months ago um, with an older pastor. And, and this is a seasoned, uh, sage, knowledgeable pastor. And he was telling me about uh, him going to visit this woman who was about to die. And it's crazy. We've had a, a few uh, funerals here in the past few months. That makes me value life more, but truly makes me value Jesus more. And I was talking to this pastor, and, and um, where'd he go? Oh, oh, no. There's no light back there. Uh, I've heard the story that, that he has a fork in his desk. Just a fork. And uh, some, someone sent me this uh, story of this guy that I, I talked with. And I asked, why this fork? This is one from our apartment. It's a real fork. Um, Brad, I'll take it home. Uh, but I said, why this fork? And he goes, well, when I was visiting this lady, she said, I want to be buried with this fork. 
pastors. It's a very odd request. Why? Now, it was not in my generation, but some of your generation, that there was this thing called a potluck after church services. <laughs> yep. Now, I was told that after you eat dinner, or the potluck, whatever it is, lunch, I think, brunch, maybe, I don't know, um, you throw away the plate, but, but you keep your fork. And the reason why is because dessert's coming. <laughs> and let's be honest, we all like desserts. She said, as much as I enjoyed the potluck, you know what I enjoyed more? The desserts. You know what you kept on to, knowing what was coming? You kept your fork on, knowing desserts were coming. As I was sitting in Hebrews, I remembered that as much as the author of Hebrews points out that Jesus is better than the sacrifices of the Old Testament, than the angels, than Moses, than Joshua, than so many other things throughout this whole book, it also reminded me of another theme throughout the book of Hebrews. The best is yet to come. So it caused me to think, where are we putting our faith? Are we believing that Jesus is the best? When we think about him, what do we think? And even gets to the point, back to that A.W. Tozer quote, what comes into my mind when I think about God is the most important thing about me. So church family, I, I want to encourage you. When you think about Jesus, what do you think? As church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, I encourage you this week to reach out to someone. Encourage them to remember that Jesus is better. Pointing to him. Remembering the promises of God and seeking after him. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we know your return is coming. And Lord, let us continually help us actually desire you more, desire to seek your face, to know your truth, to love you over all things, desiring to glorify you today as we leave this place, treasuring you and trusting you above all things. Help us be brothers and sisters of Christ who want to lock arms with others that we call those brothers and sisters to help encourage one another to seek you, to know you, to treasure you and love you. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone that doesn't not know you, Lord, that they turn from their ways, that there is a confession that you are Lord, that Jesus, we need you, we desperately need you and that we desire the rest of our lives to seek you, to glorify you, to praise your name. I pray that you help each and every one of us in the days ahead, in the moments ahead, follow after you, 
not because we feel we need to, but because we desire to, God. For we always want to glorify you. For your glory we pray. Amen.